guess the first question I would ask this morning is, have you read the book of Zephaniah? It's not one that people oftentimes quote when they say like their life verse doesn't necessarily come out of Zephaniah. But if you get a chance, I, my encouragement would be to you to read it. It's a short book, and it's a very powerful book, uh, as you'll hear uh, some of those uh, elements here uh, this morning. I don't know if you can remember back to 2012. Not everybody can here, obviously, because of our ages and whatnot. Um, but 2012 Olympic Games coverage, NBC ran a series of spots. Uh, and if you saw the Olympics, if you're a fan of the Olympics, are you a fan of the Olympics? Who's a fan of the Olympics here? You like watching the Olympics? Who likes watching them a day later? Right now, no, no one does. That's when the Olympics of late, right? But they ran a series of spots that included the uh, women's uh, gymnastics team uh, back then. And it was accompanied by the song Home. Uh, that was part of that. It was a song performed by American Idol winner Philip Phillips. Do you remember Philip Phillips? Is there any American Idol fans out here? Anybody who's a fan? You, you could admit it now. It's okay. You're amongst friends. Well, the song gave quite a bit of, a, or the song's inclusion in those spots gave quite a bit of exposure to that song. Uh, it already sold a lot of copies just because of the popularity of American Idol uh, earlier in the year. But the week following its use by NBC. They saw 200,000 or more than 200,000 downloads of the song. So it kind of rejuvenated, gave a second life uh, to that particular song. Well, reflecting a few months later about the song Home, uh, Gustavo Gonzalez, who currently serves as director of brand marketing uh, for Coldwell Banker, uh, he wrote this. He made this observation about the song itself. He says, it makes you feel good because at the core of it, we are all on some deep level believe in the power of home. And the emotional tone of the singer's voice when he says, I'm going to make this place your home, brings back all the warm and happy memories we've had and look forward to having at home with loved ones. We know home to be a powerful place. Uh, we know that in our own experience. Indeed, beloved holiday imagery oftentimes includes with it and draws on this longing for home. You think about uh, kind of Rockwell paintings and even if you're kind of a Thomas Kincaid fan, that kind of imagery is just drawing you to a place of warmth and home. And this present season invites us to opportunities uh, for going home, to be close to our loved ones, whether that be near or far. And at the same time, even when we have a place and a people, there still remains an unsatisfied ache in us. There still remains a place where we desire a place we might call home whether that's at a distant time or another season or even an experience that never was, that we'd always hoped would be. When home isn't available or has been lost, we feel it. We feel that deeply. Our lives become unsettled places. Well, our reading this morning points to a coming better future. Includes those great words of the prophet, on that day are those words that we hear. And it's an invitation for us in verse 20. You hear this in verse 20 there. It says, the Lord will bring you home. And there's that home invitation. And of course, homecoming of this kind invites loud singing and shouts, exultant hearts that are full of joy. That's how our text begins. But why, why such celebration? Here's where the rest of Zephaniah comes in. As the story goes, it was the best of times and the worst of times. I'll give you a hint here. It wasn't the best of times. <laughs> when this prophet writes, we know this from our forays in the previous prophets the last couple of weeks, right? In prison, Jeremiah prophesies against the imminent threats of annihilation looming heavy on the horizon. We saw last week that Malachi's message goes out to a people who are wondering if God has left the building, and if so, 
will God ever come back? And now here in Zephaniah, the prophet will write this right from the very beginning of his prophecy. I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, says the Lord. That's chapter 1, verse 2. That's quite an entrance, right? That's making an entrance. The sweeping here, of course, the sweeping introduction continues with God sweeping away humans and animals, birds and fish in that order. If you know Genesis, that order is a reverse creation. That's like uncreation. Like, here's the order of creation, and now we're going to roll it all back. It's gone now. This is language of judgment. And it's judgment, we read, that will befall the wicked and the idolatrous. That's who Zephaniah identifies in his text. The unfaithful and the corrupt. A reckoning that is to befall the nation of Judah. So if you're hoping for some kind of home court advantage, there wasn't going to be one. Of course, the surrounding nations could poke fun and laugh. Say, <laughs> you got it. That's right, God got you. Where's your God at? But not so, not so quick. They were not off the hook. In fact, chapter 2 quickly dispels the notion. So total is their destruction that a great nation like Assyria, great nation like Assyria that's conquering empire, is said to become a desolate home to wild animals. Do you remember the original Planet of the Apes movie? Does anybody remember that? It's like 1968 or something like that when that came out. It's a long time ago. I don't remember when it came out because I wasn't even born. Uh, you're like, whoa. <laughs> Some of them remember like, whoa. <laughs> Hold on. Hold on there. You remember how that movie ended? Remember that astronaut George Taylor, Charlton Heston? He comes across, he's on the beach, and he comes across this mostly buried Statue of Liberty, <laughs> right? And he freaks out. That's the kind of imagery we have here. A great nation that's now desolate and destroyed. And their chief city in ruins. So ruined that we'll hear in the end of chapter 2 that Zephaniah will write, everyone who passes by it hisses and shakes the fist. If you go back and watch the end of the Planet of the Apes, you might have a similar response there from Heston. What a bitter day it will be. What a bitter day it will be when judgment comes, as the prophet will observe in chapter 1, verse 14. Going on to write this type of imagery, it's a day of wrath. It's a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet blast and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty battlements. And who can escape? By what means? Where will they find refuge? None, none, and nowhere. That's what we hear in chapter 1, verse 18. I thought this was the joy candle week. <laughs> what on earth? Exactly. On earth. Unearthed. Judgment is a serious place to be. It's a serious time of reckoning. And how do we get there? How do we arrive at this place of just profound and significant judgment and destruction? Note how chapter 3 begins, our own chapter from which our text is pulled. Ah, soiled, defiled, oppressing city. It has listened to no voice. It has accepted no correction. It has not trust in the Lord. It has not drawn near to its God. Misdeeds of officials, judges, prophets, and priests are then recounted. The picture of people behaving badly to one another and before God. Bad actors in need of correction. That's Zephaniah chapter 3. But even still, but even still, 
we get to the last part of Zephaniah, and we come to an even still moment. But even still, the Lord is patient and offers correction. The ability to change, the ability to be transformed, the ability to be something different. Even a promising remnant. But these bad actors continue. Continue their work. We see that in chapter 3, 5. The unjust knows no shame. In verse 7, they were the more eager to make all their deeds corrupt. But even still, even still, the Lord takes action. A number of years ago, my wife and I were at Zion National Park. And, and during that visit, we decided that we would tackle Angel's Landing. Now, have you been to Zion? Who's been to Zion here? Are you familiar with Angel's Landing? It's scary. <laughs> it's a scary place to be. Especially when the lightning starts flashing like it did when we were there. So we were out there, and we are going to tackle Angel's Landing, and, and we ended up having to turn back because uh, rain and lightning came while we are heading up on that last piece of it. But before you go on the last section, at the time there was a sign that was posted just before you went up. And, and that section has a bunch of uh, cabling up there so that you don't fall over the side. And that's for good reason, because the sign itself would offer a warning about how treacherous that last incline is, and then it had the number of people who've died on it. How's that for a warning, right? That kind of warning gets your attention. It gets ours. It got ours for sure. The prophet's message here operates in a similar fashion. There's a warning here for sure. We see that. We see a, a warning kind of as we read through Zephaniah in these different sections. And there's certainly a recounting of, of past missteps of the people. We certainly see that as it goes through and talks about uh, these different bad actors, these different characters throughout. And the hope here, of course, is that our next step, you and me, the reader and the hearer, that we might take some kind of seriousness in the way that we go forward here. There are next steps here that we might hold these gifts of God's instruction and the experience of the past together so that we might set a better course for our own future. Of course, that's easy to write, as I did here in the sermon. It's easy to say. It's easy to sort of listen to. But how often do we find ourselves both knowledgeable of the past while at the same time repeating it. I wrote in my notes here, sorry, George Santayana. Sorry, you have to look that up online later to figure out how that works. <laughs> right? We make the same mistakes. But even so. But even so. Emerging from the fog of judgment, a way emerges. It comes forward, a possibility is seen, and it doesn't come by human ingenuity. The prophet makes that clear in our text doesn't come because of powerful armies, man-made armies. It's not the product of dumb luck. It's also not because of our powerful intellect. Instead, what happens, God takes action. And when that happens, we hear that you shall not be put to shame, chapter 3, verse 11, because of all the deeds by which you have rebelled against me. And a faithful remnant is placed and emerges who, according to verse 13 of chapter 3, will pasture and lie down, and no one shall make them afraid. Zephaniah begins with the terror of Judah and the nations. But here in our text, we now read of God's salvation. And that salvation comes by way of the God who is in our midst. When that happens, the imagery is quite different. Hear the imagery from our own text this morning. Judgment gone. Enemies gone, no longer fearing disaster. 
strengthened, rejoiced over, renewed by love, exalted over. Oppressors are dealt with. The lame are saved, the gathering of those who are outcast. There's transformation. Shame is turned into praise. Gathered and brought home. Fortunes are restored. That's what God is up to. That's the work that God's doing. That's what God has achieved for us and is preparing for us. Precisely because of who God is. It comes because of the one who is and because of who the one is. So how does this one respond? How does one like us respond to such a future? To God's compassion and to God's faithfulness to us. I think Marlena Graves captures an appropriate sentiment here in the Advent devotional. You'll see this in a few days when she tackles this particular text. If you're following along in the Advent devotional we distributed earlier this season. She writes, it is a home of regular, free-for-all, spur-of-the-moment flash mobs of celebration. It is a party for the ages because what is too good to be true is true. It is true. Full hearts, singing, shouting, joy. Why? God's salvation. God with us. And if you follow the Christmas story at all, you already just heard that. God's salvation. That's, the name, that's what Jesus' name means. God with us, Emmanuel. And we see that in the prophet, God in their midst, God with them and for them. Friends, welcome home. That's what all the shouting and singing is about in the Christmas story. Shouting and celebrating these same things. But we're not there yet. We're not there yet. We're still in Advent, and we're preparing for Christ's second coming as well as we get ready for Christmas. So how do we prepare in this season for this home, this coming home? Well, worship is certainly a, a good first step. To join in that choir of singing and shouting. To join in those words of joy and those hearts that are overflowing. Entering the joyful celebration of God and what God has achieved. And bearing witness to God in our care for one another. That's another way that we respond. In early 2020, when the pandemic brought the world to its knees... We're still trying to climb up out of that, that place. If you remember back to those early months, no vaccine, no real therapeutics, lots of fear and a mounting death toll. Many of us found ourselves for the first time in our lives, in our houses, but feeling far from home. We had all our stuff, but yet we still felt very unsettled. Well, during that time, musician Mary Chapin Carpenter posted several videos on her Facebook account where she offered comfort to her fans and encouraging uh, words to them as she shared some of her music. And on April 2nd of 2020, she shared what she identified as a song that I just feel speaks to the times we are in and our need to not leave each other behind, to stay together, to allow ourselves to be known and seen by one another. What Carpenter is describing, of course, in all those categories is what we might call the comforts of home, where we can be those people, where we can invite people to that place. Reminded this morning that this place, this comforts of home, is the place that God is inviting each one of us, all of us to, to experience, to live in, to inhabit, so that we together can enjoy the good gifts that God has 
for us. Carpenter would go on to sing from her song, 1994 song, um, with an app title, and she says this in the, in the song. She sings, I can tell by the way you're searching for something you can't even name, that you haven't been able to come to the table, simply glad that you came. And when you feel like this, try to imagine that we're all like frail boats on the sea, just scanning the night for the great guiding light, announcing the Jubilee. The song's titled Jubilee. That's a good word for it. The place we're going is Jubilee. That's the home that's coming. That's the home we can inhabit. The response we give, Jubilee. That's also a good word for it. God bringing us home, our jubilous response in return. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen.